0: Welcome to the Austin New Church Podcast. My name is Melinda Tabb, and I'm one of the youth pastors here. We are a progressive faith community dedicated to the pursuit of inclusion and social justice. Whether you're a beloved out-of-towner or are just catching up, please enjoy this week's message.
1: My name is Jason. If we haven't met, I had no jokes today, so I got nothing here. So I'm so glad Trey was extra funny because... My former employer used to start every sermon with a joke. If you Google that, you'll figure out who I used to work for. I don't have any great jokes. The funniest thing I saw this week, Jay, was a little meme on Instagram that said, so a kid asks his dad, Dad, what's F1? I don't really understand it. And the dad says, well, that's where the entire world competes for second place behind Max Verstappen. (laughs) You didn't get that one? Never mind. It's not funny. I know. Boo, right? I'm about to stop watching. Well, the Tour de France is on, so we have something else to distract ourselves with. You can trust me for all non-American sports. You can trust Trey for all the American ones. This is how we we built our staff. So we've got all the sports covered. He does pickleball. I do Tour de France. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I don't know why I'm in the mood to laugh today, Trey, but here we are. Well, good morning. Anyhow, my name is Jason. If we haven't met, I would love to do that sometime. Come to Pine House Pizza afterwards if you'd like. It's picnic tables, so we mix it up and meet each other. And some of the great folks around here made their first effort to connect through one of those. And so we do that because it, it's a reliable way to connect to people. Well, today will be part five of a preaching series entitled, Where To Next? And as you know, the New Testament book of Acts is our guide for now. And it, you know, Acts is one of those books that I think I know it, but then I pick it up and there's always something different in those stories. Something beautiful is always revealed, something new. I've been for now several weeks encouraging us to start thinking together intentionally about what's on the next horizon for us as a church. And I'm, I'm not sure why that became this sensation. It probably happened in a staff meeting at one point. We were talking about where are we going to go over the summer. We usually attempt some ambitious preaching series over the summer. But we've been talking about that next horizon, which if you were to ask anyone on my team, I think that they would tell you, horizons I can see, just not the details on how to get there. Anybody in the room feel seen all of a sudden? Anybody in a relationship coupled up with somebody who's an Uber planner and you're ashamed every day that you don't have a plan for that day? But they, got, they have lists that begin the creation of lists that become the creation of lists, right? So, I, you know, my team would tell you I can, I can see the horizon with relative clarity, but I don't really know all the road that it's going to take to get there. It's details, friends. I hate to let you in on the secret. It's not my natural brain state, the details of things. It just isn't. The deep future, that has my total imagination and my full devotion. I got that. Precisely what to do next? Well, I'm going to need some help with that. And just as a way of alerting you, we're going to end the sermon today with an open mic where I hope that you can add some detail to the conversation today. So be ready, introverts. Now you're warned. You can't tell me. Britta is always advocating for people in the prayer room. She says, well, if you're going to ask introverts to share, you better tell them you're going to ask them to do it. So now you've been warned, Britta. Okay, how's that? But I think the details, if I'm honest, feels like a different skill set. I think I, I I know instinctively exactly how to discuss a preferred future, and that's where I live. You see, I live between these two poles, this intense discontent with the way things are and also an enthusiasm with the, with the horizon, the way things might be. But as you know, there's often a lot of steps to get there, right? And I find myself sort of stumbling along that way. Uh, getting to that place is actually what most of the work involves. And I'm increasingly aware of how much... I need help filling in those details. And I think it's okay, actually, to be honest about that. No person is great at all the things that a complex task requires. This is the logic of a team. That's, how, that's why you build teams. But if I'm honest, I do carry a bit of bothersome and perhaps unproductive shame around not being very capable with the planning and the details part of the job, just being real. I love to study, I love to read, I love to think and develop people, I love to preach, I love to visit one-on-one, I love weddings. God, I love weddings so, so much. I will do all the weddings all the time. I love funerals, weirdly even. I love baptisms, infants, adults, horse troughs, rivers, you name it. I love all the traditional pastoral tasks. Mostly, I just love seeing brilliance and beauty in people and calling it forward until they can see the same thing. I love that part of pastoring. I don't, however, love the financial stuff that goes along with all of that and the planning it takes to make a church work smoothly, if, in, case that doesn't surpri- in case that surprises you, which is why I generally trust the team with these things, especially when it comes to the financial stuff. If they say something needs attention, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to defer to them and say that it does. But this can be a mistake for an organization if you don't think of how to lead well when it comes to these things. Over the last 10 years, the board has been consistent, encouraging me to do a better job of addressing the financial issues head on. So, because I trust the board and trust the staff, you're going to start hearing me and us address a little more directly around here the fact that our financial numbers are trending in the wrong direction. Now, that may not surprise you, but they're concerning. And you might say, well, is it critical? To which I would say, well, I guess it depends on what matters most to you. It feels critical to me because I'm trying to develop people and build a talented staff with the right gifts to lead us forward. And when the right person comes along and the honest answer is we can't afford them, even on a part-time basis because money is too tight, I wonder if we could do better. It makes me a little itchy, to be honest. So I'm going to shoot straight with you guys today. Friends, if you and I agree that this kind of church matters, and I hope we do, if Austin needs a courageous little spiritual community like this one that welcomes all people, celebrates all people, a safe place for folks to find healing and wholeness, if Austin needs that, then let's resource it. Let's elegantly resource it together. It won't be perfect. You'll, you'll be able to see holes in the armor. You'll see warts, all of the things. It won't be perfect. It's going to take all of us to get it done. But if ANC is that little place where you call home, let's keep building and stretching and growing our staff and our influence. Let's thrive together. I'm calling you to, to, to notice that we're not trending in the right direction. You know this. We no longer pass a plate or collect an offering. COVID cured us of that. No pun, watchers in the room. That's my favorite sentence of the whole sermon. It's all over after that. (laughs) I made a long list of things this week that COVID cured us of, and all I can think of is it cured us of passing a plate at church and maybe sharing bread for communion. But COVID cured us. We don't do giving that way anymore. We don't pass a bucket. We don't pass a plate. We rely on you to find that link online that sometimes appears in service but is always on the website. So if this is your home, let's get behind it. Okay, deep breath. I did it, Trey. Whew, I did it. Where's Amy? Amy? My board chair, where is she? I did it. Where's Amy? Amy should be so proud. Now let's jump back into our text today. Guys, I, okay, freeze the recording, which we can't do, by the way, it's live streaming. <laughs> I was part of a staff that that tried too hard all the time to collect too much money, so I have some trauma around this, so you'll have to forgive me. This is like me two-stepping with you. I'll go anywhere in town with you. We can hang out anywhere you want to hang out, but I'm an awkward two-stepper. I'm awkward when it comes to money, but I'm going to trust the leadership of this church. We have to be aware. I wonder if many of you are aware. See, that's the thing. We hear from people all the time when they say, We didn't know the church was struggling. We're struggling. So we need to change that trajectory together. Anyway, let's jump back into our text today so that I can breathe. Where to next? That's the, that's the question. That's the question we've been asking ourselves. There's a beautiful little story in the book of Acts, and we're using that as a guide for now, and it comes to us from chapter 3, and it begins to articulate how the followers of Jesus begin to move forward from being tucked underneath their rabbi to sort of engaging the world on their own terms and building their own ministry. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter heals a, sorry for the language, guys. Peter heals a crippled beggar. We could have worded that better today. Verse 1, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple uh, called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms, which is just an offering of of some form of resource, from those entering the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asks them for alms. Peter looked intently at him. I hate when people do this to me in public as an introvert. Peter looked intently at him, as did John. Now we got a real situation going on, this poor guy. And they said, look at us. (laughs) And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And in verse 6, Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And jumping up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Mark, do you remember that song when we were kids? Does anybody remember that song? This is a show of hands. I want to see how many tree rings of Christianity you have. (laughs) Catherine told me, she's not here, but she says, you better sing that song. I'm like, I don't sing in public, so whatever. Walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and astonishment at what had happened to him. So the story of this young community of followers of Jesus picks up right after Pentecost. You remember the occasion. Peter, after preaching his breakout sermon and seeing significant numbers convert to the way, begins to carve out his own public ministry, his own sort of direction. Now, don't forget they had been instructed to stay together in one accord until the ghost of God found them or the Holy Spirit found them and empowered them to take the news to all people in all languages. And that empowerment came like a mighty wind as if out of nowhere, but it was definitely something that they had been waiting for and it taught them to speak and to see the world differently. And mass conversions, according to Luke, if you, the author of the book of Acts, if you believe him, mass, commu- uh, uh, mass conversions followed. But that was never going to be the end game. You see, things were just beginning to get going. And these guys had to figure out what to do in short order. There was an administrative task at hand that they needed to unwind and figure out. There were thousands of people to be baptized, entire households of people, infants as well as the elderly. There were real physical needs to address apparently as well. Poverty was a thing, it sounds like, since last week's text reminded us that the tangible needs were assumed to be part of the collective concern of the followers of Jesus now. They didn't go far from base. They didn't stray far from Jerusalem. They stayed in the city. They still met in the temple daily. We talked about this last week as far as Luke recalls. But as much as things stayed the same for them, everything was beginning to change. That's what this story is about. And that's actually what the entire book of Acts is about. Well, Peter and the rest of his friends of Je- and the rest of the friends of Jesus were familiar with the city of Jerusalem. It was their holy city, after all. Which is to say, walking past the community that gathered at the gate called Beautiful would have been no strange occurrence for them. They were on their way to three o'clock prayer. This was the daily thing for them. They would have recognized that community of people. But as I said, things were beginning to change quickly. Now, they saw human needs differently. Now. See the contexts and the scenarios were the same but their reactions to them were not they had been transformed powerfully by the shocking nearness of God in their friend Jesus they were beginning to engage the world around them in a totally different way how exactly did their eyesight change that's the question i would say i would have How exactly did it change? Were they told to throw out everything that they had ever seen or assumed to be real? Were they asked by Jesus to unsee or undo or unwind or unbelieve everything that came before? No, they were not. You see new vision, new insight, new ways of moving about the world stack on top of old ones. Friends, as we've been discussing lately, Jesus came to add to what had already been revealed about God. Jesus, as you know, was a Jew, not a Christian, and it still shocks me how many Christians are shocked to hear that. Peter and John were doing what they'd always done that day. They were headed to three o'clock prayers in the temple because that's what devout Jewish men did, but this time was different. This time they locked eyes with someone who had always been there, perhaps someone who they'd no doubt seen before, but maybe for the very first time were observing, truly. And here's the question for us today, one that I hadn't thought of before, if I'm honest. Why did this nameless man who struggled with an unspecified physical limitation his entire life, why did he post up every day in that same spot? You see, 3 o'clock in Israel is a lot like 3 o'clock in Texas. It's the least agreeable time of day. It's hotter than you know what in Texas at 3 o'clock. Why would this man be dropped off on that specific spot by people who loved him? Well, he must have done it because it worked. It helped pay the bills. Now, it wouldn't have been a bougie life, or a bougie existence. I doubt he ever made it to Hawaii, like some of you have. But it probably lightened the financial burden of his family standing there and asking for a contribution. His family, who were almost certainly the ones who carried him or arranged that schedule to that same spot at that beautiful gate to ask for assistance daily. People are generous and kind for the most part when they're able to be, especially during midday prayers. I mean, think about this. If you want to receive someone's generosity and mercy, do it when they're already thinking about God. You know, if nothing else, guilt is right there at the surface, coming and going to church. It seems like a good place to ask for a contribution. Religion usually is fueled by guilt and shame, as you know. Well, the gospel writers didn't give us a ton of content in this story, so we don't know as much as I, would, I wish that we did. Something has always bugged me, though, about the way Jesus performed these, this sort of public miracle, and we see the same tendency in his disciples. It always bugged me how he would walk into the middle of a crowd and pick one lucky soul and perform some brain-bending miracle and then turn around and walk out and leave all the rest sitting right there where they were. Did you ever think about that? The rest of the people gathered in that place, at the gate called beautiful that day. Jesus was known for this, and Peter and John, having learned from the master, well, they followed the same pattern, which makes perfect sense. But here's the thing, friends. It's not like the miracles that Jesus and his followers performed were the first powerful demonstrations of the divine engaging human suffering with the goal of alleviating it. It wasn't as if they owned the market on that think about it. Remember that time when Jesus healed that man that was, had some physical limitations who hung out by a, next to something called the Pool of Bethesda? Do you remember that? John tells that story in chapter 5 of his book of memories. Apparently, a certain man had, uh, had been posting up at that particular spot by the pool for decades. It turns out an angel of the Lord was told to have stirred the water from time to time, and whoever could get in the water first was healed of whatever limitation that they brought with them. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, preacher, come on, that stuff didn't actually happen. Well, I wonder, ask yourself this question. Why would dozens of people gather at places like this if it was all hocus pocus? People aren't dumb, you see. Crowds don't gather where things don't happen, at pools or at gates. Friends, Jesus didn't invent miracles, and neither did his followers. The angel of the Lord stirred the waters of Bethesda long before Jesus showed up. And the beautiful gate of the temple generated the miracle of charity and neighborly concern long before Peter and John locked eyes with the nameless man that day. If our view of God is expanding, if our engagement to the world around us is no longer based on exclusivism and cultural antagonism and coerced conversion to our way of living, then we need to get honest about some long-held misconceptions. Now, hang on with me. You might feel a little pressure. God didn't suddenly become merciful when Jesus was born. God didn't suddenly discover the ability to forgive and forget because Jesus did an especially good job at being a human. Jesus didn't change the character of God, friend. He embodied it. But the goodness of creation isn't limited to the man named Jesus. Now hear me. There's a much bigger story to tell than just this story, as wonderful as it still is to me and as central as it is to us. It's part of a much bigger story. The nameless man in our story positioned himself at the beautiful gate because it paid the bills, friend. It worked. People were already kind. People already looked out for one another, which is why Peter and John looked him eye to eye. When they did, he assumed that they were going to give him a few coins. You see, this is how it had always worked. Eye contact matters, of course. It unlocks human mercy and generosity. You see, eye contact tunes the human consciousness with the heart of God. You might say it this way. God happens when people look at one another in the eyes. This man's needs, though, were never unseen by God. They were unseen, perhaps, by these two disciples until this very moment. But God knew his name. He always had. What's new, and what this story is actually about, is how the disciples of Jesus had come to be so moved by his witness that they literally looked at the world, the same one that had always been there right in front of them, they began to look at it differently. Such was the impact of Jesus on these two You see, what God had always seen and felt and desired was somehow now top of mind for them. It's the disciples who had changed. God was never not focused on human suffering. It's people who are catching up in the story today. And there was a lot for them to unthink for these two guys, if you think about it. You see, there was an existing answer in the culture at that time. There was a popular assumption surrounding all people who suffered from chronic physical limitations back then. You might know what it was. The assumption was simply this. They're being punished for something. That limitation is a result of their behavior. They must have done something wrong. Do you remember that time when the disciples come to Jesus with this, quote-unquote, theological conundrum? Who sinned? This man or his parents? Because of his lifelong seeing impairment, it must have clearly been some divine punishment. Do you remember that story just a few weeks ago? Yeah, the thing is, it wasn't, friend. His blindness, that is, wasn't any form of punishment from God, according to Jesus. Jesus saw the human that suffered precisely from what? Well, mostly from these garbage human assumptions. This was not a theological question at all. It was about their prejudice, and these stories we're looking at now from the book of Acts that chronicle the journeys of the disciples as they move forward. These stories are moving us in the direction as we're following these people as they begin to see the world entirely differently, as they begin to see the world the way Jesus did. This feels super obvious to me now, but it didn't always, so I'll just say it in case it helps unlock something in you. Friend, the Bible isn't the story of God. It's the story of one group of people coming to grips with some new revelations about God. It's the story of people learning and adapting and growing. It's into new levels of awareness of what God was actually always already like. It's a collection of writings that chronicle the evolution of human consciousness across a thousand years. You see, everything builds and accumulates in layers and stacks. Everything new is made of everything that came before it, as we've been saying. Root systems get to remain. Any experience can be built upon. Roots, whatever they are or are not, however imperfect they may have been, they remain perfectly useful for the thing that comes next. Jesus didn't invent mercy or kindness or miraculous healing. Friends, Jesus embodied those characteristics about God in a fresh new way perhaps. But healing happened at the Pool of Bethesda long before Jesus got there. And alms were freely given to the people gathered at the beautiful gate long before Peter and John looked up from their concerns that day. Friends, I'm just going to say it as clearly as I can on a holiday weekend in Austin, Texas. It's actually a great insult to read history as if mercy and healing and justice and forgiveness of sins were invented by Jesus and his friends. It's an insult, especially to our Jewish siblings, in case it helps, you for me, helps to spell it out for you. Friends, we're working on good theology around here now. Jesus came to add to what came before. Of course he did, but he stood on it. He didn't abolish it. He even says so. Jesus expressed what was always true about God to an unfolding and a developing culture, and that matters to us because we trace our cultural lineage to the Greco-Roman world. It's true. Jesus used and embodied whole new metaphors, but it's not as if God wasn't active before he, he was born Make no mistake, friend, God was loved before Jesus got here. Now, I'm not demurring the value of Jesus. He holds center for us. But love and mercy and justice are not invented with Jesus and his friends. There was an elaborate system already in place that accounted for whatever gap real or perceived that existed between God and what God loves and what is it that God loves. Oh, just every atom in the known cosmos. Now, we could talk all day long about what needed to be updated and expanded. If I had to summarize it for you, I believe that it was this. Cultural limitations were put on the acceptable boundaries of who God could love and accept, and that was what needed to desperately change, you see. When Jesus explodes on the scene, the circles were drawn way too tight around who God might love. They were way too close to home to be functional The Jewish establishment in charge during the time that Jesus created, Jesus did his ministry, they looked at God's influence as something that functioned within strict national boundaries and that needed to change. God could accept and love far more than what the people of Jesus' time could. That would prove to be a fatal, fatal flaw in the end. You see, I don't think they were wrong, though, to assume that they were God's chosen. That's a beautiful and transformative assumption. It's also universally true, all people are chosen by God, best I can tell. They weren't wrong to assume they were God's chosen until they added the word only before that. Boy, it's a good thing we don't do that anymore, isn't it? You see, nothing in the revelation of the divine, capital D, whichever of those countless revelations we're talking about or beginning from, nothing in any of those revelations it has built into it this assumption that this is the only thing God could ever really do. When did we swallow that? Friend, if Jesus taught us anything, it was that all people are God's people, not just those born to good particular families that are practicing faith in a particular region at a particular time. So what is my point today? Friends, I worry about us that we think we're the only ones who know true love and real mercy and honest forgiveness. I worry that we honestly think we're the only ones who God holds true affection for. Who says we're the happiest or the healthiest or the most right? Who says? If we're going to engage the world around us, friends, we have got to be certain that we don't just follow that old Christian pathway, basically, that says all you have to do is believe everything that we're doing is right and follow us in every way. Friends, we're watching the story of the friends of Jesus develop. We're watching those assumptions fall away. I'm worried as we re-engage a world that we're going to bring that old assumption Now, maybe we'll take it to brave new places, but if it's built on this idea that the only thing God is doing is what he's doing in us, friends, it's going to fall apart just the way the old one did. So last week we talked about how any good root system can be built upon. Any experience, any faith system, any worldview can be redeemed for good, which of course means that we don't have to storm around the world enforcing total compliance with our experience in order to introduce people to a new level of love. It's not required. Well, the disciples continued to meet in the temple, as we read last week. Of course, that's what they did. That was last week's reminder. Jesus helped them become better Jews, or perhaps I should just say better humans. Well, today we learned that mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness were not invented by Jesus and his followers. Friends, there is love everywhere. You know that, right? God is love, according to the tightest word formulation that the ancients were able to gift to us. And I wholeheartedly agree with that summary statement. God is love, but Christians aren't the only ones who experience love. Mercy and love and compassion are actually what hold it all together. And why does that matter as we seek to engage our community in South Austin and East Austin and I guess North Austin too? Hey, thanks, North Austin's on the phone. <laughs> Don't forget us in West Austin, they say, right? What does that matter as we begin to re-engage our community? Well, it matters because posture, friend, is everything. The way we do it is everything. We're commissioned to go more as learners and seekers and scientists and students, friends, than we are as teachers and instructors and enforcers of singular experiences of God in the world. I don't know that I can say it any simpler than that. If you live your life in such a way that everyone around you, everyone in relationship with you, becomes a better, more intensely human version of themselves, of what they were always going to be, a better and more full expression of the root system that they already are, then you will have lived a full and meaningful life. So where to now, A&C? Well, I guess back to the usual places. Only this time with greater intention and presence greater observation, and sight, and imagination. Oh, church, may our eyesight become clearer and more attuned to what love is already up to all around us, all around us. Okay, take a deep breath. What comes up in your imagination around that conversation? I want to open the floor for engagement. You ready there? Got the mic? How does this land on you? What's going on in your brain? I see what's going on in your energy field above your head. What possibilities do we have now?
2: Dave Kemper had his hand raised, I think.
1: You know what, don't <laughs> let him do that. Dave, don't let him do that to you. Don't let him do that to you.
3: I can do awkward. I raised five daughters. I can do awkward all day long. This isn't about the possibilities. It's more just a comment about the story is that um, he was certainly provided for financially by some, but I'm going to bet more than those, a lot of people passed by and just said thoughts and prayers, huh. kept, kept on walking.
1: Yeah.
2: If it's anything like the church today, it was mo- that man was probably mostly supported by women.
1: Wow. Trey, hello. Okay, Just Trey. Just saying. Yeah. So, so the argument isn't that these disciples of Jesus had no impact on him. That's not the argument. The argument is they joined what God was already doing in his life, and that's the difference. If that's the case then, and we're sitting on a horizon, looking out at a white napkin and saying, what do we want to do next? What does that, what, what does that mean for us? What are the possibilities now? Yes. Okay, now ideas are popping. We're gonna catch them all so that the out-of-towners can hear. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I don't know how much this relates to that, but well, anyway, um, for me, mm-hmm. it's more about um, humanizing mm-hmm. the Bible. I grew up and it was just a weird book with a lot of mm. things that I didn't understand and yeah. that weren't explained to me very well. And so what I like about ANC is that it definitely humanizes mm. every experience and every story and everything that happened in the Bible and makes it just really relatable mm-hmm. and puts it in a context that um, is relevant like
3: now.
1: Mm. So, Thank you. That's the hope. Someone else? We had another idea? Guys, take the train anywhere you want to take the train. I can I can do poorly worded questions all day long to prompt ideas, but once the ideas start firing, then it then it all happens. Hey, Lex, made it. Hi, um,
4: Lex. I think for me, it just reawakens this like missionary heart that I have um, from like my teenage years, um, going into the world and not so much bringing God, because I don't, I've never believed that, that's uh-huh. not a thing, but, um, <laughs> like, being able to just connect with people who are different, and m- learn, and grow, um, mm-hmm. I just, I think I forgot how much I love that.
1: Oh, man, we could camp on that story forever. I would love to just, like, randomly guess the organization that took you to the world, because I <laughs> bet you I could get really, really close. I bet you I could get real close. <coughs> Why whim. Anyway, uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
4: Um, so i 've always had like thoughts around i guess like faith healing and like miracles and things like that, and never really knew what I felt about that or where I stood on that and Then, about three months ago, I broke my ankle in three places on a hike and um I was rescued by park rangers um, and it was really dramatic and then i I just, mud. I just slipped in some mud on a hike and I broke it in three places, and I had to have surgery and You know, I had this whole team of people helping me and I'm in physical therapy twice a week now, relearning how to walk correctly. And so was that this miracle and that Jesus put his hand on me and I can walk again? No, it wasn't this instantaneous thing. But I do think there is some sort of, I think there's a similarity in that, you know, that, yeah, it took time. But there was a whole village of people that came to my rescue to help me to heal from this injury, you know. And, and, like, I'm not permanently disabled because of this, we were able to heal and
1: right. come it. So let's do a pop quiz. Is it a miracle that the village rallied? How many would say, yeah, we're going to just put that in the column that says that was a miraculous thing? Four people in the room? Come on, y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew?
4: Um, I, I feel very similarly about missionary heart kind of waking up. Um, <clears throat> kind of like going out of church, coming out, entering queer spaces for me uh, was very odd because i felt like i couldn't show up with that missionary heart sure and i feel like jason and i we've talked about this before but this is kind of igniting something in me of like the showing up and being present with something to give and and in listening ear is actually you're just joining in what already is the work that's happening and the miracles that are happening there um and it, it almost feels like i just got permission yeah to like go be me in places where christian and God are really, really scary words to hear yes, and yes. traumatizing subjects, so yeah, thanks.
1: And especially traumatizing if the ideas of God we're bringing require that everything this place and culture ever knew needs to be thrown away so you can believe this. That's the missionary world that I grew up in. Some of you may not know this. I can barely see the congregation tree. I can't see them past you. No, i I grew up as a missionary kid. This was the anthem. We go and we save, and I guess if you were to distill down... Mm-hmm. Uh, everything I'm trying to say around this is that that's culturally insulting worse we miss out on seeing God active in all these places friends, I don't know if you knew this but God doesn't need wooden boats to go around the globe to get places that story, it's time to just let it go so now my question to you is again how does this change how we get to engage Austin what does this mean for Austin Bailey and let's go to the back Oh my gosh! There's five now. I actually have the microphone. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't see you pass it. You guys, I can't see. You get this, right? Okay. Well,
4: I mean, he put it basically more beautifully than I could. But I think that also, growing up in the church and trying to spread the gospel and convert and be in those spaces, I felt so much pressure to do Mm. that. And when I'm when I would fail in that, it feel like I was failing like Mm. God. And so being able to just go and know that it's already happening and I'm just being there and, like, doing life with people and loving people like how I know I'm supposed to, I don't feel as much pressure.
1: Yeah. Turns out a God who's in charge of all things doesn't, isn't, like, hamstrung if you don't go knock on someone's door. <laughs> I don't know how we ever believed that, y'all. That's a bit of marketing for us to swallow that, yeah.
5: Yeah, we don't have to, as a church, we don't have to start things. Things are mm. already started. Um, and we can go join in on things that are already happening in yep. Austin or whatever. There's a million organizations that are doing great things. They don't have to be Christian. They don't have to be anything like that. We can go and join in. There's already good things happening. Yep. Let's just join
1: in. So that's Love more that. practical. rather than. Love that. Mm-hmm.
3: All right.
1: All right. Three of you in the room are worried about the clock right now. Coming, Chill out.
3: We're coming, we're coming. We're coming. All of
1: you. Chill out. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. Just relax. We're going to be fine. Yes. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I was just going to build on the, the practical um, movement that's already taking place, this movement of love uh, that's all across our city, but specifically two areas that came to mind were uh, mentorship mm-hmm. through the public school system. Yes. Um, Austin Partners in Education has a huge, huge need um, for mentors. It's like a weekly commitment, 30 minutes per week. It's beautiful, and it changes these kids' lives. Um, and then the other one was trans youth, Um, I don't know, check me on this stat, but I heard that there are only six, um, organizations that house homeless trans youth in the country. And if that's anywhere close to being true, anywhere close, that's insanity. Mm. Um, so anyway, my heart is just like, you know, especially in Texas with all that's going on, um, how can I and we support these beautiful lives, you know, that are at stake. So...
1: So we're capturing all of those notes because the podcast will live online forever, so I don't feel like I need to take notes. Yes, over here. Love that. See, this is an example, guys. This is an example of the, the level of clarity is something that I think many of you are going to bring. So I know of these orgs, but you know of far more collectively than we know as a staff. So yes. Yeah, so just, um, so I haven't been back
2: in a church since 2020, so this is... Wow. Okay. A slightly triggered day. COVID um,
1: cured you of coming to church. Yeah, <laughs>
2: carry on. So this isn't intended to sound as cynical as it might, but like it's easy to it's easy to say that God moves and is is not bound by the Christian religion. Sure. Um, but as we move and expand that, like how are we engaging or even bringing in the active voices of other religions that are? that are moving in that same way. Yep. And where are they given space to come in and speak and share and for us to learn from them, how are, how are the indigenous religions of this land, how are other yep. world religions brought in and, and us actually given a place to learn from them and interact with them and to build community that really breaks down the perceptions. And, sure. and for a lot of us, the, the ingrained DNA that we're trying to shed
1: yeah, yeah, because it's mixed, literally mixed with the molecules of exclusivism. It's very Absolutely. difficult. How many of you guys are thinking back to Rabbi Neil not that long ago in here when he says that? Yeah. Go back in the podcast, look up Rabbi Neil Blumhoff. Um, he has access to this place anytime he has time, and he's on sabbatical, but that's a, that's a, that's a tiny move in the direction of opening our community and saying uh, spiritual seekers are spiritual seekers. We don't have to force them to be us, we can listen and learn. Yes. And we're gonna, yeah. Oddly, you can you imagine Chichen Chong here going up to the synagogue? <laughs> Trey and I, Trey and I are going up there to address his spiritual community, the synagogue, on the 30th of September. So don't be in Europe then, dude. Just know that. Anyway, um, currently looking for more people in the space that can non-antagonistically step into parallel or adjacent spiritual communities to address people who are hungry for. A God that moves so far beyond our story, friends, that I don't know how we ever thought it was just us. Anyway, we could go on like this for hours. How, how do you want to limit this, Trey? Because we've got like a couple more. Yes. Three more. Okay.
3: I just want to say quickly, um, every time I come here to visit, mm-hmm. I'm aware of the change that you all are making. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware that a change of heart is the first level of change. That's exactly right. And you are making it. I've been made aware of a study that you all may have talked about already, but that uh, as a holdover of that hideous movie, Birth of a Nation, that people are reluctant to make eye contact with adult black men. Mm. And once I was made aware of that, I have started making that eye contact, and I bet you all have too, Mm. and I'm overwhelmed at the shocked responses I get from adult black men. Interesting. To see an uh, an old white lady make eye contact and speak to them, they look at me with great big eyes, and say, "Oh, hello," mm. and I think connection on that level mm-hmm. is what helps heal our nation. And I our agree, culture. and I think
1: it has to happen at that level. And I also think that this miracle began when those two guys looked up from whatever their daytimer or their Palm Pilot. I'm trying to shock everybody under 30. <laughs> Googling Palm Pilot. Uh, I, think, I think the miracle happened when they looked up and made eye contact. Am I right? Friends, here's the, here's the problem when you call people to change the world. They assume it's too big of a task so they don't try. Here's my gift and my goal as a, as a leader of a spiritual community is to remind you that it's so much simpler than all of that. Treat people with dignity Love people well. Lead with your heart. Get your head somehow below your heart, yogis. Just get it under there somehow. <laughs> Lead with love. It's the universal thing that holds it all together. We could go for days. Yes?
2: It, I'm finding it's distilling into like two questions for me that happen one communally, one personally. The communal one is how do we, how do we live in solidarity and with justice as opposed to just charity? Because hmm. charity is easy to... Sort of yeah. hold at arm's length, and then personally, how do I live my life? How do I live my life out loud, in such a way as it shows a life transformed? Yeah,
1: great questions. Just the sort of questions to sit with and let them percolate. Last Anybody remember what a percolator coffee cup, coffee La- pot last was? Last one.
3: Sorry oh my
1: goodness! Said. He literally just walked right past you. I'm f-
3: who?
1: Her. She's had her hand up. I don't know your first name. Okay, we're gonna add one. One more. One more. I'm okay.
0: I don't Yes. Um, I'm going to be honest, I stepped away when the question was asked, so I'm not entirely sure what the question was. What's the was, meaning of life? But, um, what's, the dark, what's the darkest sin you ever committed that you promised you would never say in public? Go. <laughs> um, but this conversation has just provoked a handful of thoughts for me. I grew up as a missionary kid slash teenager in Uganda, and so and I also kind of have this like, little bit maybe trauma response isn't the right word of just like when this idea of like mission work comes up it Mm. triggers ideas of exclusivity for me and us versus them mentalities and so i think this conversation for me has reminded me i need to be active about reworking that definition of what it looks like and expanding it to what you said of just dignity and connection. That's it. That's it. That's Um, it. Yeah. And just not making it this big. I need to travel across the world and I need to tell them how to live, but it's just, I need to connect and I need to treat people with love and respect and with dignity and not discounting the little ways that that can manifest. So
1: I think your heart always knew better. Didn't it? It always felt awkward doing those things. Our bodies, missionary kids, raise your hands, missionary kids. Get them up there, MKs. There's four of us. There's got to be more. Is somebody back there? No. Our bodies knew the awkward thing we were being told was the gospel going around the world. We knew better, did we not? It never registered with my organism. It always felt like a pit. In my solar plexus, yogis, it just felt like somebody was sitting on me to have to force people within two seconds, hey, do you know Jesus? He would love to be part of your life. Like, uh. (laughs) ah. We knew better. Now it's time to speak up and say that. Yeah, one final statement, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Mark, get your big band ready. Ready? The
5: final statement. Um, Well, I've been thinking about something you said a few weeks ago about the youth group, ANC Kids, and Mm. how, you know, there's no blueprint for building the foundation in the way that this church does. And so I think um, I'm always curious of what's happening in this room, like, what are, what is actually being said to my kids, because I think most of our trauma mm, <laughs>
3: came that's when it from,
5: you know, yeah. came from like Father Abraham and seven sons. Like all of that. Oh like my God,
1: let's do it. <laughs> Maybe sons said, Father <laughs> Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just, oh my God. Right arm, left arm, right foot. Ah! Oh, this is too much fun for July, y'all. We're supposed to be really sad because it's so hot. Anyway, sorry. Oh,
5: my gosh. Um, So I think it's just uh, when I think about what I would like to see this church do in a bigger way is let's make that blueprint of of what the new youth group, what these kids grow up sharing and and knowing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's
1: begin, friends. And I'm going to wrap with a prayer that Catherine wrote this morning. Let's begin by seeing God everywhere, not feeling the need to take God anywhere. Let's begin by being the sort of people who can be so deeply transformed that when we happen upon someone who's always been in front of us, we see them differently. I'm talking about the life you currently live in the neighborhoods you currently do that. Let's do that stuff more wholeheartedly with greater human dignity. All right, a prayer before we go into song. Catherine wrote this this morning. She woke up bothered by the ghost of God. I just like saying ghost of God because that's actually a better Greek translation than Holy Spirit. And when I say Holy Spirit, you guys check out because you think you know what that means. But the Spirit of God was bothering Catherine this morning and she wrote these words as a prayer as we go into song now. God of gateways, you who come and go around us, focus us with your presence. Walk us in the way. Open our eyes to see the love in us is the love in everyone we meet. Amen. Lead us, guys.
5: Thank you for listening to the Austin New Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages and head over to austinnewchurch.com where you can get added to our mailing list. Our services are also live-streamed on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. if you'd like to receive the full experience. We're so grateful for who you are and who you are becoming.
3: Grace and peace be with you wherever you are.